The Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit is made possible in part by Mad Dog Professional Services. Mad Dog Professional Services focuses on putting their clients on the leading edge of technology faster than thought possible to capture new revenue streams. That's Mad Dog Professional Services. Hey, everybody. Happy Thursday. Welcome to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. We've got a lot to talk about on today's program. A little bit later on, we are going to discuss uh, what's going on with State Representative Larry Inman. He, of course, has been charged with soliciting bribes when it comes to the prevailing wage vote in Michigan last year. Will any other legislators get caught up in this federal investigation? Who knows? We'll find out a little bit more about that. But first, we're going to talk about abortion in Michigan. A couple of bills have passed, and we're spending a lot of time talking about Alabama, and I will talk about that a little bit later on in the show today. But Michigan passed its own set of restrictions on abortion in the last couple of days, and it looks as if Right to Life of Michigan is looking to do an end run around the possibility of a gubernatorial veto on these questions. So we'll talk about that with Susan Demas of MichiganAdvance.com when she joins us in just a moment. And like I said, I've got some thoughts on what's happening on this debate nationwide, and I will share those with you a little bit later on. All right, joining me right now is Susan Demas, again, editor at MichiganAdvance.com. They cover the state capital and government and uh, do a great job with it. She's a frequent guest on the program. Susan, welcome back to the Craig Folly Show on Deadline. Always a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, one of the things that I've always encouraged people who listen to this program to do is pay attention to what is happening in Lansing, because there are all kinds of things always happening in Lansing that have a pretty big impact on your life. And much more so than what's happening in Washington, uh, what's happening in Lansing is always going to be there. And, uh, you know, a lot Alabama getting a lot of attention right now for good reason, given the abortion restrictions that were just signed into law by Governor Ivey down there. However, Michigan, is passing some of its own restrictions as well that you may not have paid as much attention to while Alabama has the shiny object of the day. Susan De- Susan Demas, again, uh, let's take a look at what was passed here in Michigan, what the intent of this is. Uh, it's really aimed at second trimester abortions and a very, very common procedure for those types of abortions, correct? Right. Uh, the procedure is dilation and evacuation. But actually, uh, within the legislation, they don't even use the medically correct term. They use a, a highly political term that, unfortunately, some media are, are using in headlines, um, dismemberment abortion. It's meant to be, ooh, scary, this is bad, we need to stop it, um, when in reality, um, it's rarely used unless there is a serious medical issue in the second trimester or beyond. Um Often because almost always because the fetus is is not going to live uh, once it's born. Well, and, and interestingly enough, I mean, this is the most commonly used procedure in those types of situations. If there is significant fetal abnormality, if, if this baby is not going to be viable outside the womb or after birth, this is a technique that women have access to at this point in time. Um, to spare them from from some of that pain. And, and uh, this procedure, from what I understand, has the least complications of any type of procedure at this stage, correct? Right. Um, I, I have had a couple relatives who have had miscarriages in the second trimester, and one of them had this procedure. You know, it's, it's not just used in, in cases of abortion. Um, you know, sometimes it's necessary when somebody miscarries, but um, it's not a complete miscarriage. 
Exactly. And so, again, this is a procedure that doctors have been using and recommending for a long time. What's the rationale on Right to Life's part to, for getting rid of this procedure? What do they suggest is the reason they're doing this? Well, it all started with the uh, another scary non-medical term, partial birth abortion, um, which is a dilation and extraction procedure um, that's also used in, in late um, trimester abortions. Uh, that was already banned under Governor Rick Snyder um, and has been banned in, in several states. And now they're moving on as part of a piecemeal approach, like let's just take each proced- each medical procedure one by one, uh, spread misinformation about it, and get rid of it. Um, that's been the technique. Then you have the situation in Alabama where they just decide, you know what, let's just ban all abortions plus throw people in prison for 99 years um, and, you know, have women thrown in jail if they even try and seek an abortion in another state. So they decide to take it to the extreme. Um, and I think a lot of states are, are following suit. But the Michigan approach has has been kind of the technique up until now. Well, okay, let's talk a little bit about, you know, what's behind this, too, because, you know, obviously the abortion debate is one that is always highly emotional. And and you said these are political terms. I would suggest they are emotional terms more than anything. They are designed specifically to get a rise out of people and to get them to vote accordingly or sign a petition, perhaps, uh, to override a potential governor's veto, which is going to happen on these bills. Uh, Kim Lasada caught a lot of attention this week, of course, a state rep from the west side of the state, in suggesting that women who are going to go through this procedure should have to go through a more painful procedure in some capacity as as almost a reminder that what they're doing is immoral in some capacity. Uh, She stepped in it this week a little bit. Talk about Kim Lasada and the reaction to what she had to say. Yeah. um, You know, for anybody who wants to claim that these abortion restrictions aren't about punishing women and families, Kim Lasada let the mask drop this week and um, let everybody know that, yes, that's exactly what these laws are supposed to be about. Um, And uh, I don't think that she really has any comprehension, the amount of pain that words like that can cause, Um, not just for the few people who have had this procedure, um, but for a lot of women like myself who have undergone miscarriage, anytime you do these, these, these um, abortion debates where there is a bunch of misinformation and outright lies and people who are demonizing women for pursuing health care, um, I think they don't realize how traumatic it is for the uh, 25% of women who have had abortions, uh, who have had miscarriages, which the medical term is spontaneous abortion. Um, and we're supposed to be women that they want to protect, but they really don't care about our feelings and they don't care about the feelings of women who have made the choice, the legal choice to have abortion. So, um, you know, I, I really, you know, I, I've, I've seen some people who have had a lot of sympathy for her because, you know, she went through her own, um, horrible experience with, uh, losing a fetus and, that is a horrible experience. But, you know, if the way she wants to deal with it is to make the lives of other people hell, uh, I I have a lot more empathy for people who are going through that experience who don't want to punish other people. 
So I, I wanted to read this quote from Kim Lasada just so people get an idea of where some of these legislators are coming from on this. And again, we should remind folks, we are talking about a procedure that obstetricians and gynecologists suggest is the safest procedure in these type of situations, cause the least amount of harm uh, for the patient and the least amount of complications for the patient. Now, here's what she said. Of course, it should be hard and the procedure should be painful and you should allow God to take over and you should deliver that baby. Now, this is the kind of thing that I think ticks off a lot of people here. One, I mean, look, this is not supposed to be a religious discussion here, but obviously it's going to play a role in this. Um, but it's almost as if she is wanting to punish people. And, and we're seeing that in Alabama as well with, with the, you know, this not just the physical pain, but also the potential humiliation of this procedure as if these people have done something wrong. Right. Um. You know, the idea that you would want anybody to have an intentionally painful medical experience is such a foreign idea to me. Yeah, we should we should ban, you know, we should ban uh, Novocaine for people going to the dentist because they ate too many candy bars. Yeah. I mean, as somebody who has gone through childbirth, I can tell you that is extremely painful and uncomfortable, um, you know, um, so... I witnessed it. I didn't go through it personally, but I witnessed it firsthand. And uh, yes, I can I can attest to that. I, I know it was not a good experience uh, in terms of, of comfort or lack of pain. Right. And, and you know, medical science um, has been dedicated to trying to make things as painless as possible because that's what progress is. So, you know, for all sorts of procedures. So I just don't understand the idea that anybody would would want you know, some sort of medieval painful procedure for, for people, but, you know, um, that's her opinion. Um, but, you know, beyond that, um, you're right. She introduced religion into debate, which, you know, um, as a, um, member of the state legislature, uh, that's not the role. Um, she's entitled to her views, but it's not up to her to, uh, try and make Michigan a theocracy, which, she kind of indicated she'd be okay with. Susan Demas, my guest right now, of course, is she's the editor at Michigan Advance, michiganadvance.com. Uh, and, and Susan, I mean, let's talk a little bit about the procedure and the way that they, they went about this. The legislature could have passed these bills when they had a supermajority in the Senate, majority in the House and the governor's office last year. They did not. They waited till this year, uh, knowing, of course, that Governor Whitmer was going to veto uh, these bills. Now, of course, they have an opportunity to seek a ballot initiative on this question, again, using that charged language that they hope is going to motivate people to sign this petition and, again, vote for it. Uh, it's an end run around a gubernatorial veto. But why wait till now? What was the point? Well, they knew that Governor Snyder would veto this as well. Um, you know, he uh, would he described himself as pro-life. There was some debate about that. But, you know, um, with the more extreme measures, he made it clear where he stood. So they didn't want to bother and get a veto. Um, this is a, a twofold um, strategy on on the part of Right to Life, which is one of the most successful and wealthy lobbying organizations that we have um, in Michigan. And, you know, nobody should forget that. Um, but they, um, number one, really want to pick a fight with a Democratic governor. Uh, and number two, um, every few years, they pick some sort of a ballot initiative so that they go and get a new list so they can fundraise off of people. 
Um, this is a business decision. Um, and, uh, you know, they sat on their hands last year when we had these restrictions on ballot initiatives, making it more difficult, um, where you had to gather signatures from um, each congressional district. And a lot of people wondered um, why, when they were opposed, Right to Life didn't really do very much. I'll tell you why. Uh, they have the money that they will be able to get this ballot initiative, so they didn't feel the need to help truly grassroots organizations out. Um, so what will probably happen is this will go before the legislature, which is still Republican controlled. Um, they will approve it and it does not require the governor's signature. Um, well, and, and that's one of the weird things that Michigan has. Again, here's, here's the option. If they get 400,000 signatures to get this, uh, to get this in front of the, uh, the, the voters, the legislature can then decide to take it up if they want to. Now I, I'm wondering Susan, and I don't know the answer to this. Is there any potential resistance in Lansing on the Republican side to doing this? Because it seems to me that the national attention that's going to be paid to this issue of abortion right now and restrictions on women's rights has the potential to backfire if it's not done properly. What's the likelihood that the legislature will just go ahead and do this? Or is there the possibility that some people might run scared? No, they will do it. They will have no hesitation. Um, they have proven time and time again that they're willing to take up these issues, like with the rape insurance bills um, back several years ago in 2013, um, where now you have to actually plan ahead and purchase a writer on your insurance plan if you want abortion coverage. So, you know, go ahead and play the odds, you know, with roughly a quarter of or a third of all women are raped. So you may want to, you know, just get the insurance in case um, you happen to get pregnant as a result, because now it's not covered with your standard plans, um, even though Republicans supposedly believe in the free market. So, um, yeah, the, they are going to take it up. For one thing, this suddenly doesn't seem so radical when you have outright abortion bans being um, proposed in other states. And they they firmly feel in the Republican Party that this is how they win the 2020 election by scaring their base. Um, that's why you hear President Trump talking about the Democrats are in favor of infanticide, which is about the grossest lie you can come up with. Sure. Um, and, you know, they think that this is the way that, that Trump can pull it out in Michigan and other states because Republicans will come to the polls um, because they'll be on the side of the pro-life movement. So it's it's an electoral strategy. I mean, anybody who thinks that, you know, I mean, there are some people who deeply morally believe in this, but for a lot of people, this is just a political argument. Yeah, and, and it should be, you know, we'll be interested to see what they do. I have no doubt that Right to Life will be able to get 400,000 signatures. Uh, the key is whether or not they can get them from all the different parts of the state that they need to, because I, there is supposed to be a restriction as to how many of these signatures you can gather in, in any one place. It's, it's meant to dilute, uh, I guess, the power of the urban areas for stuff that the Republicans don't like, boost the power of the rural areas. Uh, and so... Is there any indication that um, we might get some sort of a, a ruling from Attorney General Dana Nessel on whether or not that restriction is going to stay in place? Well, she's been asked to look at it. You know, of course, um, she's not the final arbiter the courts are. 
Um, she will, you know, she will may determine that it's unconstitutional and, you know, right to life will just ignore her and gather the signatures anyway and hope that the courts are on their side. Well, we will watch to see what happens there. Hey, while I've got you, Susan, I think there's another issue that we need to talk about. And again, paying attention to Lansing matters. Uh, Larry Inman, of course, mm-hmm. a state representative from uh, the northern part of the state, is in a little bit of trouble. He's facing federal bribery charges, uh, and uh, there's a possibility here that uh, he could be forced to leave his office. Lee Chatfield, the Speaker of the House, has asked him to step down. Mr. Inman says he is not. Uh, Tell folks what exactly he is accused of doing here. Yeah, this is a pretty bizarre story. Um, There was a vote last year on the prevailing wage issue um, that was a, a big issue for unions, Um, you know, wanting to make sure that people were paid more for um, projects that that um, especially people in the building construction carpenters trades work on. And um, this was actually another ballot initiative um, that uh, went to the legislature. They took it up, did not require the governor's signature. Um, And uh, Larry Inman, a Republican from the Traverse City area, uh, apparently texted the Carpenters and, and Millwrights Union uh, outrightly asking for a bribe uh, for his vote. The Carpenters were against getting rid of prevailing wage. Eventually, the Republicans did narrowly uh, adopt the ballot measure. Um, and Inman surprised a lot of people because um, he had expressed that he did not um, agree with the measure and he ended up voting for it. Now we kind of got the rest of the story. Yeah, exactly. And and he had hinted in some of those emails to the Carpenters and Millwrights Union um, that there were some Republicans willing to vote against repealing prevailing wage and encouraged them to give money to these 12 GOP lawmakers to block that action. Is there any indication that Inman is the only one that is being investigated here? Or is it possible that he was just sort of the ringleader and others may get caught up in this? It It is possible. I mean, I think if you read between the lines of the indictment, it, it reads to me very clearly that it was the carpenters that turned him in. Um, and uh, perhaps there are some other implicated representatives um, or lawmakers in general. Um, I, I think that's the million dollar question. Um, but the brazenness of it, you know, him just asking for bribes over text message um, is is pretty amazing. Um, you know, he says that there is there's an explanation. It's crap and he's innocent. Um, apparently, he's not going to session again today. Um, but both the Democratic and, and Republican leaders of the House have called for him to resign. Um, would be a very interesting time to have an expulsion hearing with all the other things going on in the legislature. Absolutely. And, and uh, you know, here's one piece of advice for any legislator out there. Never put in a text that this conversation never happened. Not a good idea. Not a good look. <laughs> but uh, we shall see what happens. Susan Demas, we always appreciate your time. Uh, we'll be following along. Keep us updated on any changes that we see. And um Again, Michigan joining the fray in this weird debate. So we'll uh, talk a little bit about uh, that as we go on. Thanks. Thank you. The Craig Folly Show is made possible in part by Deadline Detroit. One-stop shopping for all your news. Also, home to Deadline Detroit TV, which includes The Zip, a weekly wrap-up of the week's news with some humor. Deadline Detroit, one-stop shopping for all your news.
And this is the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Thanks for checking it out today. I always appreciate hearing from you. So send me an email to thecraigfollyshow at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram. I, I got to post more pictures on Instagram like everybody else, I suppose. But, uh, you know, some videos and stuff like that. So thanks for being with me today. And I appreciate your feedback. Uh, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about what is going on with the abortion debate here and how long this has been planned out and how long this has been played out and the long game that the Republicans have been playing ever since the passage of Roe v. Wade, or not the passage, I should say the court ruling of Roe v. Wade back in 1974. This has been a game they've been playing for a long time. Stack the courts, get the justices you want. Get the votes that you need to overturn Roe v. Wade, and then individual states can make up their own policies on what they want to do with abortion. And so far, that plan has been working pretty well for Republicans. They've been chipping away at Roe v. Wade for a long time. And there were a number of states that have recently uh, put restrictions on abortion that they have put in specifically to see if they can't challenge Roe v. Wade in the federal courts and at the Supreme Court level, where they hope to finally overturn it. But the plan all along was to do it in a more subtle way. Along comes Alabama. Now, okay, Florida's, you know, Georgia's uh, fetal heartbeat bill was bad. It would have put restrictions on basically anything beyond about six weeks of pregnancy uh, and would have made it almost impossible for somebody to get an abortion after that process. But again, that was a little bit more subtle. Alabama basically just said, boom, abortion's illegal. They're, they're, governor just signed it into law. And not only is it illegal, but if a doctor performs an abortion, it's potential 99-year prison sentence. There can be punishment for the women who are involved in this process as well. And we now know that, you know, there are no exceptions for rape or incest in this Alabama law. And the lawmakers who sponsored this bill said, basically, this is about morality. This is about God. This isn't about legal interpretation. This is about their religious beliefs and foisting their religious beliefs on the rest of the nation. Now, that on itself could be unconstitutional, and that basically shows the motivation for what they're trying to do, which could lead the courts to overturn this, and it's a very good possibility that lower courts will overturn this. And it may not ever make it to the Supreme Court because there are other abortion bills that are probably going to be there first. But if the Supreme Court... And those who have been trying to do this for a long time were hoping for some sort of quiet discussion on this so they could maybe roll things back in a way that's sort of incremental and opens the door for future challenges and slowly opens that. Well, again, like I said, Alabama just threw a Molotov cocktail at the front door of the Supreme Court with this one, saying we are passing this specifically to get the court to overturn Roe v. Wade. Well, it doesn't necessarily work that way. And what they have done by doing this is get every single person's attention in this country, no matter what side of this debate you are on, you now know that abortion rights are firmly, firmly in the crosshairs of the GOP, firmly in the crosshairs of the religious right. And if you were hoping to do this quietly, well, guess what? That opportunity is now gone because I guarantee you everybody now is paying attention. Alabama just passed one of the most regressive and punitive laws I've ever seen when it comes to this one. Even Pat Robertson, Pat Robertson, the faithful televangelist, the one who is always, always talking about the importance of overturning Roe v. Wade, says this law goes too far. And maybe they did it so that they were so extreme that something that was a little bit lighter will pass through. But here's the thing that they didn't count on, I think, and this is, again, my opinion. Now, 
every single bill nationwide is going to get coverage, is going to get attention. Every ruling that comes out from the lower courts is going to get attention, and people are energized by this. Whether you're for or opposed to the procedure, whatever your motivation is on this one, people are going to be paying attention, and all of a sudden, the morality issues, the social issues, once again take over the four and threaten to potentially take away from the argument that Donald Trump is trying to make towards his re-election that the economy is going great and everything's fine, therefore I should be re-elected. But you start throwing this stuff in there and it turns people off. It gives an opportunity for people to point out the religious hypocrisy that exists around this issue that these lives are worth saving, but people shot with guns, well, we can't ban guns because bans don't do anything, but we can ban abortion because bans are important. It doesn't make any sense. Oh, we're in favor of the death penalty, but all life is sacred if they're born. But now they're trying to shift that to say, well, it's just innocent life that says should be protected, not people who are guilty of crimes. If you're going to have to go to that route to justify your morality and then try to shove it down everybody else's throat, there will be pushback from that. And now everybody's eyes are open to exactly what's going on. Congratulations, Alabama. You've just woken everybody about what is going on when it comes to this issue. And there could be, very well, the death knell to Roe v. Wade coming up in some one of these court cases. But the difference now is that everybody's going to be watching very, very carefully, and the Supreme Court is going to be very, very closely watched about how they decide on this one, what the legal arguments are. And everybody who's ever come up there and suggested that Roe v. Wade is settled law when they're going through their confirmation hearings, let's see how they vote. Because these people who are being vetted for the Supreme Court are very, very careful to not step into that water, to not suggest whether or not they think these rulings are good or bad, but to say simply it's settled law. Well, that's going to be put to the test. We'll see what they believe about settled law and precedent. Because the legal contortions that they're going to have to go through are going to be interesting to watch. And it's entirely possible that John Roberts, in an attempt to protect the court from these allegations that it is an overtly political organization and that they can basically be bought and sold by one party or the other, he's been trying to protect the judicial independence of this branch of government, the independence of this branch of government from the legislature and from the presidency ever since he stepped in as chief justice. It will be interesting to see whether or not that holds true and whether or not this is something that he can hold together. Now, one of the more disturbing things that I've seen throughout all of this as well is one of the legislators in Alabama actually suggested that, you know what, hey, Ginsburg might die, and therefore there could be another appointment, which means that Roe v. Wade would go away. So you have people actually speculating on whether or not a Supreme Court justice is going to die in time for this ruling, which further, further suggests to me that the sanctity of life argument is bullshit. It's a disgusting bill. It doesn't take into account medical situations. It doesn't take into account rape or incest. Certainly the doctors aren't being listened to in this issue. And the sponsor of this bill in Alabama, the Speaker of the House down there, actually said, well, you know, hey, justice delayed is justice denied. So if you don't know that you're pregnant and you don't figure it out pretty fast, well, you're out of luck. So say you're 14 years old and maybe you are molested by your stepfather or, you know, you were impregnated by somebody as you're walking home from school. You're ashamed. You're afraid to tell anybody what happened. You're scared. Oh, six weeks have passed. You're out of luck. You better carry that baby to term. Oh, and by the way, some of the courts down in the South have actually granted visitation rights, parenting rights to the rapist. When did we get so bent on this issue? 
When did we decide that women and their opinions and doctors and their opinions on this issue don't matter? When did that happen? I pointed out last week in just a little bit at the Speaker of the House in Florida, Mr. Oliva, actually using the term host bodies to talk about women who were pregnant. Host bodies. If that doesn't give you an indication as to how people feel about women and their role in this whole process, then it should. But I'll tell you what. Get me the pink hat. I'm going to Washington if this stuff goes down. And I think a bunch of other men should join them uh, because this is something that we need to talk about. This is something that we need to be aware of. This is something that we need to choke as we can because this type of morality-based legislation suggests that there are people that are more interested in this being a theocracy than a democracy. You talk about freedom of religion? Well, guess what? I have freedom of religion too. Your religious views should not dictate what I get to do in my life. That's the way this is supposed to work. Don't tell me that this was a Christian nation. This nation was founded specifically with freedom of religion. You can be religious if you want to, and the government can't tell you what you can and cannot practice, what you can and cannot worship, who you can and cannot worship. That's what that means. And if that means that you don't want to follow any religion, you are okay to do that as well. Keep your morality out of my politics. Enough. And it's time to stand up to this kind of stuff. Because you know what? I've always sort of snickered at this notion of the American Taliban. But for those same people who are bitching about the possibility of Sharia law in a city like Dearborn, I want to impose something very, very similar on a national level. Just because it's your religion doesn't make it any more right. Just because you believe it doesn't mean it's right for everybody else. And legislators that are invoking God in these discussions and saying God is going to punish us, well, guess what? All of us will find that out at the end of our lives at some point in time. But that should be up to us individually to determine. Think hard about this stuff before you do it, because I tell you what, the backlash is going to be severe. And if you think, if you think that people are going to stand up and just forget about it, they're not. They're not. This is the kind of stuff that people remember. And just because you have some sort of warped sense of, the, of the, the code of the universe doesn't mean you get to tell me what to do about it. This has been the Craig Folly Show on Deadline Detroit. Check me out online. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, all those different places. Take a look. Send me your feedback. I can take it. I don't mind hearing from you. I actually like it. And if you give me something new to think about, great. That's what it's all about. We'll be back tomorrow. It'll be the week that was on Deadline Detroit on tomorrow's program. Nancy Derringer and Alan Lengel will be joining me. We'll, of course, stream that live on Facebook. And, of course, we will have it available as a podcast as well. Have a great day, everybody. Hey there, my name is Seth Ressler. Hi everyone, it's Becky Scarcello. I am new to the Detroit area. And I've been here my whole life. So we started a podcast together. It's called The D Brief. Detroit's arts and entertainment podcast. We cover concerts, comedy, plays, food, drink, all kinds of stuff. All the cool events around town, things to do, and the people that are doing them. Can we talk about some of the people we've had as guests on this podcast? Hey, this is Mark Kurlianchik, the restaurant critic for the Detroit Free Press. Hi, I'm Ian DeLisi, and I host Essential Music on 1019 WDET. Hi, this is Mark Ridley of Mark Ridley's Comedy Castle. Hey, this is Kate Williams, executive chef of Lady of the House. Hey, this is Meltdown from WRAF in Detroit. This is Josh Mallerman, author of Bird Box. This is Carmen Hurst. 
Harlan, curator of film at the Detroit Institute of Arts. President and founder of Valentine Distilling Company. The general manager of innovation experiences for the Henry Ford. Arts and entertainment editor at the Detroit Free Press. Michigan Science Center. Arts Beats and If you like going out in the city of Detroit, you're going to like this podcast. The Debrief Podcast. We like to say Detroit's moving. Keep up. The Debrief. Your guide to Detroit's arts and entertainment scene.